0: listening to Voices of Experience with Paul Casey. Today's show is one for the books as we go on the road with Paul. So let's check in and see how he's
1: doing.
2: Thanks, Benny. Welcome to this edition of Voices of Experience. This is Paul Casey, a correspondent on the road. I am in Palm Springs and uh, we're staying here for a couple of weeks enjoying it. But woke up this morning with something that my friends from the Pacific Northwest will know very well. It's raining. I know I get a lot of sympathy there. But anyhow, let's get to the show. We have uh, Peter Sankton. He's going to be joining us shortly, and he is the former senior news editor of AOL, and that's helped a reporter out. He started that afterwards, and uh, actually did very well, sold it off, and he started writing books about successful businesses and so on. And one of the things that makes uh, him very unique, he admits that he has ADHD, attention deficit disorder, and... uh, he talks about the positive aspect of having ADHD in his book. So it'll be interesting to catch up with him. My commentary today is on positive thinking. And actually, what I suggest is that people do more negative thinking when they're starting their business. I guess my message is hope for the best, but be prepared for the worst. Sometimes I think there's just too much positive thinking out there. People think if you think positively, Everything will be okay. Well, I kind of disagree with that, so I'm going to talk about that a little bit. Also, talk about Cougs first. The Throne Samoan, Jack Thompson from Washington State University, and Glenn Osterhaus started this organization seven years ago. Now they're moving to the Bower in Bellevue. Actually, they're returning to Bauer in Bellevue with the next event that's coming up on March the 11th, and I'll be talking about that. And I guess this is Cougar Day because I'm going to have a discussion with Dr. Samuel H. Smith. He was president of Washington State University from 1985 to 2000. And as a matter of fact, we're just going to jump into that interview in just a few moments. So again, welcome to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey. On with the show.
3: Dr. Samuel H. Smith, former president of Washington State University from 1985 to 2000, is my guest. Now, he's best known for establishing branch campuses throughout the state of Washington. Spokane, Tri-Cities, and Vancouver, Washington all have campuses in those cities because of the efforts of Dr. Smith. He led WSU's first comprehensive fundraising effort that raised over $275 million. But his reach and influence goes far beyond Washington State University. He was also one of the co-founders of the Western Governors University, which is an online program for college students that is circulated throughout the world. He also was a founding member of the College Success Foundation. All these objectives of providing access to higher education was for simply for students who could not possibly have that opportunity. He has made a positive impact and provided access to thousands of students who otherwise would not have attended college. My first question to Sam Where does he feel higher education stands today as a priority and where does he see it going in the future.
1: Higher education today is really a direct mimicking of what higher education in the United States was in the 1860s, in which white kids were being educated. Very frankly, the federal government stepped in and formed a, the Land Grant Act, which put universities all around the country. needed made it a smart idea to help educate everybody. If you go back to 1980, we were the most well-educated country in the world. Today, we're somewhere between 10th and 13th. We, we have not continued to invest in higher education. And also, very frankly, universities haven't been willing to change. A fellow by the name of Clark Kerr, who was the guy that designed the uh, university system in both California and here. He designed it so there were doctoral granting institutions, master's granting, and two-year, i.e. community colleges. And he was pointing out 40 to 50 years ago that when the public funding model broke down, the four-year colleges would appear, which is what's happening. The research universities like the University of Washington, WSU, the amount that comes directly from the student or the state to support the student is 10 to 15 percent of the budget.
3: It wasn't like in the 70s, like 70 70% percent when I went to college? Did yeah. The state supported to that level? Yeah. So what happened?
1: The universities kept increasing their costs. The state did not keep up with the funding and it's still not keeping up with the funding. The doctoral granting research universities are going to be out of the reach of most normal people. Because right now, if you're talking about getting a four-year degree at WSU or UW, which is going to be a little over four years, you'd better be able to book uh, $240,000, $250,000. Okay, let's imagine that you're a, a family with an average income of 100000 and you've got four kids. How are you going to be able to put them through?
3: We're talking about, let's say, we'll be in the top 5% getting a higher education, a four-year degree, or you're going to leave college and university enormously in debt, which is happening now, of course. Yep,
1: and will continue. And you'll see it most dramatically on the master's granting universities because you take the master's granting universities right now, like Eastern, Western, Central, 80 to 90% of their budget is from the student and the state supporting the student. If the costs vary... They don't have the cushion that a research university has. If you look at what we used to call community colleges, by taking a community college, getting it um, permission in the state to give a four-year degree, they can get accredited. They don't accredit the degree, they accredit the institution. So most of our community colleges in this state are four-year institutions, but that movement is pretty much across the United States. There are several hundred of these. The Seattle colleges are four year. We predict that the University of the future will not be as isolated a silo as we see today. I think a lot of the regional colleges, this is across the nation, very frankly are either gonna go out of business or merge. The the big thing that's gonna save us right now is the flexibility amongst the community colleges, technology, and we're gonna see some major changes because, very frankly, if you take the uh, classroom, it's actually only utilized about 12% of the time.
3: Is that why your tuition is so high? Why is it so high now?
1: By the way they're structured, it costs them more and more to operate. You have a large number of people working in these institutions that are tenured. They can't be let go. One of the reasons I was brought out from Pennsylvania was we had a board of regents that was very, very smart. And they realized that it's to be more and more difficult for a student to move to a campus. So the idea was to move the campuses closer to the universities. Uh, the universities did not want this at all.
3: Of course not. They didn't want the Allison S. Floyd College.
1: No. We import more degrees a year than we produce. There's something like a potential market in this state of about 380,000 students. Now, I wish everybody could grow up, go to a good high school, go to a good residential campus and grow up. But that's now limited to the rich, primarily white kids. Let's say you graduate with a teaching credential. You're going to earn 30-40,000 a year, but you may owe 75 000 to 100,000. So you're going to back off on a lot of these Let's take the IT. You could take a certificate program to get to a certain level of, let's say, coding. Let's say then you go back next year, you get another one on the next level, and you stack them up enough to where you would actually have them transferable so you could get a a two-year degree or a bachelor's degree. That's the thing to watch right now. The idea that you could teach a class and the student was not in the same room. Now, as you walk down the street in Seattle, you see all the people on their cell phones. They think the cell phone communication is almost as good as what we saw in my generation.
3: Yeah, it's kind of like the campaign going on politically, and it's like uh, college for everybody. When you're saying all these things, it's out there saying that, well, you're not good enough if you don't go to college. What, What is your feeling on that?
1: The concept that you aren't really capable unless you have a college degree, I won't say it's false, but it's very close. Because it depends what they're going to have you doing. Because if you have a couple of good certificates in IT, you can work as well in about 90% of the jobs in IT. If you have a certificate of some type in business, you look at the office you're working in, but you have the credit for it. Now, what we have to be careful of is we don't go back to the 50s, 60s, But you took an examination when you were 11. If you passed it, you were college material. If you didn't pass it, you would not be college material. It doesn't mean they're not as smart as a white kid with two parents at home. If you grew up in a home where both of your parents were well-educated, they had good jobs, you're going to do well in college. And let's say you're a minority, you grow up in a very poor area, you got a very poor school, you may or may not have a parent at home, you may be living on the street, you're not going to get as much background information to get an education but in going through it, you've got the ability. And as we found in college success, the key term is mentoring. Having somebody there that says you're capable, you can do it.
3: I knew when I was going through elementary school and high school, it was like, you're going to college. My dad went to college. That was like going on from high school to college was just a step going from junior high to high school. was no different. If I didn't have that, I'd give it a towing cost whether I would have gone or not.
1: Yeah. Okay, I grew up in a single-parent family on welfare, working in the fields. I met a girl when I was 16, kept saying, Sam, you can make this, you can do this, you can do better. My goal in life was to be able to become a tractor driver because they got to sit down when they worked. Okay, my mother did not go to college. I think she finished high school, I'm not sure. Having seen what education has done for our lives, Is one of the reasons why we push so hard for the College Success Foundation, with the WGU, because we want other people to have that same opportunity.
3: About 30 to 40% of our students, even today, are first generation.
1: Yep, I've got one of the advantages here. Okay, we came to WSU 35 years ago. So I now get a chance to see those graduates 10, 20, and 30 years later and see how they do. The first generation, if anything, do slightly better, because they they have more drive.
3: I had an interview with this head of the McKinstry Properties, and um, he did say the people come out of WSU are ahead, and the reason is they try harder. They have to. Yep.
1: The other big, big change that's coming right now is going to be one of the hardest to handle, is the line between high school and college is going away. I see some tremendous opportunities for the independent colleges. The technology changes that we're going to see in the next couple years are dramatic. One of the biggest changes we're going to see, I think, is in the area of video conferencing. Because they can live at home, show up on campus if they want that, or they don't have to go to campus. They can just do it online.
3: Check, I'm just uh, moving on to something else, and that would be the state of college sports. What do you think about what's going on today?
1: I chair the executive committee of the NCAA.
3: That's what I have down here, and that's why I asked the question. I think
1: it's turning too much more into a business. I think it's turning too commercial. But very frankly, it's the best advertising that a university can make. Everybody knows about Notre Dame. Can you tell me one outstanding college there
3: absolutely not
1: the average university president on a big school does not earn the top salary one of the things that we did if we had any question about a coach we would ask for the tax forms for their whole family so anytime you see a salary for a coach it's probably not quite double it if you father and mother got the new house they got the um, talk show that they hosted you start out as a high school coach, you can get into college coaching, you double your salary. If you become a college head coach, you double your salary. If you play it right, you can double your salary seven or eight times in 15 years. But going back to higher ed, I'm enthusiastic about the two-year colleges becoming fours, the role of technology, the role of certificates, and the role of the independent colleges. It's gonna to continue to grow. And uh, that's fine. But the ones that are getting the money are primarily the research universities. I always try to look ahead as far as education. I'm trying to look five years ahead on this. Because if you look ahead, you may make a mistake, but you'll make a lot less of them.
3: Look ahead. You may make a mistake, but you will make a lot less of them. Now, that's a good place to end this interview. That's Dr. Samuel H. Smith former president of Washington State University. Sam and his wife, Patricia, will be moving to Pennsylvania in April.
4: You're listening to Voices of Experience with Paul Casey. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. One more time, visit VoicesOfExperience.com. All one word.
3: My commentary today is about another myth. Myth number seven, which is in my book, Pre-Flight Checklist, is self-employment for you. Today, thinking positive is the key to success. There's a billion-dollar industry developed around the concept that thinking positively will change an outcome from bad to good, and that if you always think positively, good things will happen to you. I hate to sound like a Debbie Downer, but this is ridiculous, especially if you're starting your own business. There is nothing wrong with being a positive person, but sometimes it will help you to be more negative. The important thing is to be realistic or a pragmatist about the problems you're facing and how to handle them. A friend once told me this story. A man is out on the ocean in a sailboat, but his boat is not moving. Is he an optimist, a pessimist, or a realist? If he's an optimist, he says, well, maybe the wind will pick up later today. If he's a pessimist, he says, damn. I'm going to be stuck out here all night because there's just no win. If he's a realist, he says, let's just adjust the sales. If you're a business owner, you should hope for the best, but be prepared for the worst. What can you do to prepare your business for the next recession or economic slowdown when it comes? And it will come. The economy moves in cycles, alternately peaking and slowing down every five to eight years or so. Of course, you shouldn't have a negative attitude as a business owner when dealing with employees and customers. Your persona should always be positive and optimistic. You must project confidence in what you were doing at all times to the general public and again to your employees and customers. But as a business owner, you must develop the ability to look at things as they are, not as you wish they were, and make decisions accordingly. You must continuously ask yourself what could go wrong, and take steps to counter or prevent the negative outcomes. Thinking positive will not save your business from disaster. The smartest people in the room, whether they show it or not, are always exploring the negatives every decision they make.
4: Are you thinking about self-employment? Visit Amazon or order a book called Pre-Flight Checklist. Is self-employment for you? Pre-Flight addresses eight myths surrounding self-employment and includes a self-employment quiz. The higher you score, the higher your prospects for success. Visit Amazon Books and input Pre-Flight Checklist. That's Pre-Flight Checklist.
3: Peter Shankman is our guest, and Peter was a senior news editor with AOL, but then started his own online company called Help a Reporter Out which linked reporters and experts in particular fields in a quick and easy way. It was a very successful venture, and he was able to sell the business to Focus in 2010. He's gone on to speak and become an author of several books, but one of his things he talks about frequently is the advantages of having attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, or ADHD. He has appeared on numerous TED Talks as well. It appeared that Peter was headed towards the world of performing arts, but veered in a different direction. I asked him why.
0: Well, you know, for me, I went to high school with people like Marlon Wayans, Omar Epps, and Jennifer Aniston. And, you know, for every Jennifer Aniston, there's three years of students who go on to live a regular life. And I realized that while I enjoyed the performing arts, I didn't want to have to make a living at it and wind up hating it. So what
3: was it about performing arts that you didn't like?
0: I loved performing arts. I just didn't want to have to worry about making a living at it and potentially failing and the rejection that comes with it, and that would wind up turning into hating the industry. If you do something you love and it doesn't work for you, you wind up hating it. I didn't want to hate performing arts. I still love performing. And I've been fortunate that I've been able to turn my career into a way that I can perform pretty much all the time now, You know, whether I'm giving a corporate speech or going
3: on television or whatever, and uh, still get to uh, have fun with that. Of course. It's kind of like uh, I caution people sometimes about when they say, follow your passion and the money will follow, I kind of say, not necessarily. Exactly. Now, you shifted then into journalism when you became uh, the senior news editor for AOL. How did that happen?
0: I got very lucky. I was actually, it wasn't planned. I was hanging out in the uh, chat room uh, of the TV show Melrose Place on America Online back when AOL was the internet, and uh, I had just left graduate school, so I had um, pretty much nothing to do. And um, a uh, friend of mine in that chat room said, you know, my company's trying to build a newsroom. You have a journalism degree. Why don't you submit your resume? And two weeks later... I was hired at America Online, and I helped become one of the founding editors. I became one of the founding editors of the newsroom, and it was it this amazing experience. You know, AOL was the internet at the time. There was uh, it was pretty incredible, and I got very very fortunate. I learned a ton from Steve Case, Ted Leonsis, people like that, and really just had an amazing time, amazing experience, and learned so much. So. Very fortunate that I was able to do that
3: and uh, use that to my advantage. I stayed at AOL for about uh, two and a half, three years. AOL, when it came out, per se, it was an Internet provider. And was it really constructed to go into news at that time? Or did sometimes Steve Case go, hey, why don't we do this?
0: I think the newsroom was one of those things that, um, you know, existed. At the beginning, I believe it was just copied feeds from the Associated Press. We were able to actually create a full-on newsroom where we did reporting and, and things of that nature. That changed a lot of things.
3: And then from that, you took the next step and went out, I believe on your own, Help a Reporter Out. Tell us about that. If we fast forward to around 2007. I
0: launched Help a Reporter Out just from having run a PR firm for several years and uh, you know, knowing tons of journalists and talking to everyone. I got very lucky in the respect that I figured out a way to turn that into something that everyone could use. So. My premise was there are tons of journalists looking for sources. There are tons of sources who want to be quoted in the media. Why is there nothing that connects the two? And so I decided to launch a service called Harrow that created a way for journalists to find sources and sources to find journalists. Because of that, I was able to build this service that people used and used it uh, pretty religiously. It, it went from an idea with me and my apartment to uh, about
3: half a million people using it in just about two and a half, three years. It was pretty incredible. The news that we're getting now, it's just much more unreliable. And it seems to me even what you did is more pertinent today than it was even when you developed it. rather proud of it. I would be too. That's, that's an amazing accomplishment. You have ADHD. And when I was reading your profile and looking at it, it's something that people don't talk about a lot. But you talk about it very proud in the sense that... You can use that to your advantage. Can you explain that and elaborate on that a little bit? Normal brains drip out dopamine, serotonin, and adrenaline as needed, Uh, usually when
0: you have to do something boring, like, hey, I have to uh, write that TPS report or do my expense report, or or when you have some sort of emergency or crisis, like, hey, there's a, a mountain lion chasing me. I should probably run away. When you are ADHD, your body does not create the same amount of dopamine, serotonin, and adrenaline as a normal person would, which is why a lot of times we have a lot of hard, we have a hard time focusing. Uh, I, I run marathons and Ironman triathlons, things like that. It, it wasn't so much that I was doing those; they, 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 they all had a common reason I was doing those, which is essentially I was looking for those chemicals. When you fall out of a plane and you land safely, your body is full of dopamine, serotonin, and adrenaline, and those three things um, are the focus chemicals. So I learned that if I do a off I land, I go, I drop my Put Take my parachute off and throw it in a corner. I can then sit down and write five, 10,000 words in an hour. And so, my most productive time comes from when I am high on those chemicals, as it were. So, because of that, I realized that there had to be other people who did that. I wonder if there is a sort of a, a connection between that and entrepreneurship. Sure enough, there is. And so, I launched a podcast called Faster Than Normal, where we've interviewed people such as Tony Robbins, people who have ADHD and who have realized that it is a benefit. From that, uh, Random House reached out and said, hey, would you like to write a book? And so Faster Than Normal, the book actually came out yesterday, October 3rd, and its it was number one in all three categories in which it was listed on Amazon. It's doing very, very well, and um, I, I couldn't be happier.
3: I'm very, I'm very fortunate that I'm able to help a lot of people. You also wrote a book called Zombie Loyalists, using great service to create rabid fans.
0: Yeah, I mean, the basic premise behind that concept is that In any customer interaction, we expect to be treated like crap. We don't really expect to be treated well. Uh, We expect for a poor interaction. We expect them to screw up our order or whatever it is we're looking for. I don't need people to be amazing. I don't need them to be over-the-top incredible. I just need them to be a little bit better than what we expect. Because our expectations are so low, if we can train our customers and major companies to just be a little bit better than, essentially crap, uh, we can own the entire game.
3: Exactly. Well, you know, one of the things I wrote a book recently called Pre-Flight Checklist is self-employment for you. And one of the points I make in the book is about the airlines and how incredible they really are that they move millions of people literally and they really are the safest form of transportation. When I get into rent a car, then my experience goes down and When I rent a car, I don't care what the agency is, I am so pleased when there is not something that goes wrong. Either the price is too high, the car is dirty, they treat you like hell, you don't know whether you have the gas option or not. It's always, always a negative experience except, again, rare when I bring a car in. And based on your type of formula, I would, if I wanted to, is to start a rental car agency and do it right. Not only would I agree with that, but what I find really funny is that,
0: again, one of the worst experiences i ever had was with Hertz, right? And I was at a place where all the car rental locations were in one building, so I just walked walked like 50 feet over to uh, Avis. And Avis, not only did they go out of their way to treat me well, but at that point they didn't have to. As long as they didn't essentially stab me in the eye, I would have been thrilled, right? So I am a huge Avis fan for
1: life
3: now because all they did was just treat me a little bit better than Hertz did. My thanks to Peter Shankman, entrepreneur and author. His most recent book, Using Great Service to Create Rabid Fans, it is available on Amazon. Just to let you know, I am not paid any promotional fees for talking to Peter or any other guests.
4: You're listening to Voices of Experience with Paul Casey. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. One more time, visit VoicesOfExperience.com. All one word.
3: Well, this is turning into WSU Day on Voices of Experience. And I want to talk about Cougs first. And I've talked about them in the past, and I've had Jack Thompson, the thrown Samoan, and also Glenn Osterhout the uh, co-founders of Cougs First. And what it is is a business network that encourages WSU alumni and friends to think of Cougars for products and services. What that means is that, let's say you are having a party and you were thinking of having the party catered. Go to the org website to seek a Cougar-owned catering business. That's simple. So Cougs First, again, is just asking WSU grads and friends to give WSU-owned business a first shot. We're not asking you to do this because we're trying to shame you into, let's say, hiring a cougar business, just give them the first shot. If they don't measure up, move on. Now, you can visit cougsfirst.org to get the breadth and depth of the services. There's accounting, there's tax services, home and garden, marketing, real estate, wineries. Yes, there's a lot of cougar-owned wineries in eastern Washington. Insurance, travel, entertainment law, a lot more. And all you need to do, again, is go to cougsfirst.org org, and again, get in contact with them. There's a Cougs First show coming up in Bellevue next week on March 11th at the Maidenbauer Center. I went to the first Cougs First show about seven years ago, and there were seven businesses participating. And it was in a room in the Hyatt in downtown Bellevue. Now it's grown to the Maidenbauer Center in downtown Bellevue, and over 100 businesses are now participating. Now, if you want to come, it runs from 4 to 8 p.m., on uh, March 11th, and we ask you to pre-register if you can, but if you don't, you can still come, and it starts at 4 p.m. and runs to 8. I think you have a lot of fun. I really suggest you go to the website if you have any question. One more time, that's kooksfirst.org. Well, that's all the time we have for this
2: edition of Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey, the host and producer on the road, Palm Springs and Benny. Thank you so much for pulling this all together. Again, this show is aired at 4.30 p.m. on Tuesdays and repeated Wednesday mornings at 8 a.m. Now, if you have anything you want to talk about regarding the show, you can call me at 206-459-5536. That's 206-459-5536. If you have a comment you'd like to make about anything you've heard about today or any other show in the future... Call 425-653-1166 and leave your message and we'll get it on the air at 425-653-1166. Have a great rest of the week.